backstory on this music here mm -hmm. so we have uh we have pa family passes to disneyland because when you have a four-year-old it, it's just more cost effective to do that yeah uh you re you reward them right by going to disneyland and you know it's it, once you've gone three or four times you pretty much paid for your tickets yeah here. so uh christmas time at disneyland is amazing because everything transforms giant christmas tree and you know they even they like seasonal stuff everywhere and all these rides are transformed the jungle cruise becomes the jingle cruise uh starting at halloween all the way through christmas they turn the haunted mansion into a whole nightmare before christmas jack skellington thing yeah and you know it's it's pretty great intellectual uh, property is a wonderful thing it, it, it sure is <laughs> and 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 every single t and we've been going a little bit this season and um uh, we've gone twice in the last week and a half which is exhausting but you know Better do a, you know, I, if my four-year-old can handle it, I can handle it. And there's a parade. There's a there's the Christmas parade. This is the music ah. that they play during that parade. And so help me, once you've heard that music, it doesn't leave your head. <laughs> that it's like an eclipse. It's like staring into an eclipse. It just burns itself into your brain. And I find myself at like three in the morning, lying in bed and just think. <laughs> and not even realize I'm doing it. It's the wor it's unbelievable. Disney just they get their claws into oh, you, man. That's, it's they a, just that's what they do. It's a magic formula. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but of course, the the parade is all uh, you know. It's Mickey and Minnie and stuff. They're like they haven't they haven't crossed over to where Darth Vader and Thor are part none of, of the, that. Yeah, none of that. Yeah. No. So they're 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 keeping things separate. There's no Marvel Christmas parade yet. Anyway. I like it. Uh, Tim, so we uh, we're, we're back. Uh, we should give everybody kind of a little bit of post-mortem on the Lafka voting. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how did you feel about it? Well, uh, again, more interesting than pretty much, you know, all of the other critics yeah. groups and the other thing. A very interesting thing. Look, um, I, I, I like everything that we did. Call me by your name. Uh, all, all that. I, li I like all of that. Um, it could have been a little bit more girly for me. I agree. Uh, we, we, we gave Greta we Gerwig, uh, what is it? New, New Generation. Generation. Thing, which is always mm -hmm. kind of tricky because, you know, she's been around for a while as an actress, but this is her debut as a director. And, I, and you know, I, what does that really mean? And sometimes it's like a consolation I because we didn't we, give you another thing that we should have gave you. That kind of thing, you know? And I, mean? I think we did feel like, given all the love for Lady Bird, certainly from New York film critics. Yeah. And uh, I think everybody kind of felt like Lady Bird was probably going to do better. I think... I think I certainly, I certainly expected Mudbound to do better. Yeah, and I did not expect uh, The Shape of Water to do as well. I was surprised by the the love for that film in the room. I really. Ultimately, I mean, when that film first uh, saw the premiere, I think was was, was it at Cannes? Uh, I, it, it was at least Toronto. Toronto I think. It might have been Toronto. Yeah. I remember people talking about it there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was a thing, and people were talking about it, but it all sort of went away, and, yeah. uh, and other movies started to become... So, you know, when it sort of came back, at least in our group, yeah. with that big rush of excitement. Now, 
I'm not that excited about that film myself. I appreciated it, you know, in the sort of context yeah. of you know, uh, sort of you know, his well, over. But he, it's his. He, he's about. Yeah, but he's been there, done that, dude. Been there, done that. And he's, he keeps using uh, what's his name, the uh, the, the big tall, actor, skinny guy, yeah. tall guy that plays yeah. all the all of his uh, creature guys. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I, I his films are so well made. I think, and I love Sally Hawkins. I love Sally Hawkins. I kind of love everyone in it, but the idea of a kind Richard of a, Jenkins, and, a, you know, a nerdy mute girl with a with a you know a gay father figure who winds up having an affair with the creature from the Black Lagoon. I don't know that that's really much more than that. And then there's this <laughs> thing ultimately of... that you that, that Guillermo is constantly sort of uh, forcing on us, which has to do with a perspective on the world and our judgments about yeah. what is beautiful and what is not beautiful and what is a monster. And what is... Yeah. And, and and you know he keeps pushing us through that twist. Right. We look at this thing and we find it atrocious. And yeah. and he's going to keep poking you with it and showing it to you and changing well... it until until you can manage to find it beautiful. And if, if, if Richard Jenkins kept he he says it like four times in the movie. He's so beautiful, and you yeah. know that's a problem for me. It's a why little... are you why do you keep saying it out loud? And you know what? Uh, as far as the the, uh, the 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 evil government character played yeah, by Michael, Michael Shannon, Shannon. Uh, yeah. I you know what? I saw Gaston trying yeah. to kill the Beast earlier this year. Yeah. I it's it's the same story. It's still yeah. Beauty and the Beast on a certain level, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it's beautifully made. I just didn't anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's uh, you know that we gave that a few things too, and very happy about uh, the animated award of the breadwinner, which is yeah, yeah. Speaking of you know girly, first ever. I mean, and very deserving too. But that thing, everything about that film, it, that's a that's a movie by. You know, written, directed, and produced by women, about women, takes place in Afghanistan, Irish animator. I mean, that's animate, and it's all hand-drawn animation. Yeah. There's something really kind of wonderful about in, that. In the context of the day, um, it's almost prescient. Coco, of course, you know, the big yeah. film, the highest grossing film in yeah. Mexico and all of that. Uh, and, you know, uh, that would have been an interesting sort of thing. I'm not a big Pixar guy. I like my two or three yeah. Pixar movies. Um, I deeply appreciated Coco. I appreciated its sort of a, its appreciation of Latin American, uh, Mexican culture, uh, yeah. and that engagement. And that's, that's great, particularly again in the context of the day. Yeah. Uh, but the breadwinner just had there's this simplicity about that movie. Yeah. That deeply, deeply moved me. Uh, a little girl pretending to be a little boy so that she can take care of the, her family uh, yep. as they yep. roam around looking, uh, trying to save her, their father, her father. A uh, story within the story, a couple of different styles of animation, actually, because it's yeah. a story within the story, which is True. A, a slightly different style of animation, and just beautifully done. And then it, it's all women; it's just all of these women. You know, um, it's it's a tough movie to watch, uh, yeah. uh, uh, but it's it's beautiful. Well, we should. Uh, you know, I, I was happy with the award. I mean, you know. I, you, you never get all your – the group never sort of follows anybody's path. But uh, given what an uneven year it was, I mm. think we – I thought we sort of shared the wealth pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we did. You know. Yeah. I, anyway, nobody got hurt. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but And, you know, I uh, – would I have loved to see a little bit of love go to I, Tanya and uh, Molly's Game? Sure. Which you but, wrote a great piece. I was just reading your piece. Uh, yeah, I just love that I, Tanya. Movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. It really, really, it really, really is. 
in in that context, it was actually a pretty good year. There were several sort of medium sized movies. Yeah, you'll you'll note that we're not talking about any of the big movies. No, we're not talking about the Post. Not talking about Dark, Darkest Hour. We're not talking yeah. about Dunkirk. We're not talking about. It's true. Uh, so, although the Academy is going to oh, give, sure. give a big boost to those, sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Um, um, which is which is you know I mean I Tanya I think I'll do well over at the Independent Spirits. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not like we weren't talking about it. Yeah. Everybody, we are, we're all talking about it. Oh, it's it was good. all, it's, all these know, movies are in the mix. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's missing yeah. by a point or two here. Yeah, there, it was amazing how, and we had two ties. Yeah, two ties. Yeah. You know, director was a tie. So we got to work out that ensemble situation. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the thinking there got super duper complicated. I thought I knew what an ensemble was. By the time we finished, I had to go look the word up. <laughs> Well, we we uh, we still have a lot of Christmas stuff trailing in, holiday season stuff. Uh, I'll I'll roll through a few here. Got a couple of giveaways. I'm gonna do them right at the top of the show. Uh, the Wiggles in Wiggly Wiggly Christmas. You know, um, this is this. I I've, I'll be honest. Ever since Death to Smoochie, <laughs> I have a very hard time with a lot of these very particular kinds of uh, of kids shows because Death to Smoochie just I it was just so angry and and. Uh, and bitter and cynical. Uh, it just makes me laugh at all these things. But, you know, if you can... 2002 film. Y- yeah. Robin Williams, one of Robin Williams' oh, best, best movies. And Edward Norton. Ed Norton. It's just yeah. so fantastic. Anyway, People didn't get that at the time, though. Yeah, I know, they well, still don't. Yeah. Danny DeVito directed the hell out of that movie. He really did. It was just so good. Uh, that'll that'll be a cult one for many years to come, I, I certainly hope. So, anyway, the Wiggles, though, are one of those... You know, kids TV uh, acts, and this is their their Christmas DVD, and it's perfectly fine. Uh, if you want to sort of know what they're all about, go on over to thewiggles.com. Yeah, do that, and, <laughs> and you'll you'll see what you're in for before you buy it. But uh, you know, this is an hour of just uh, you know kids songs and people in costumes and you know doing all that all that really Barney stuff. Except there's no Barney. Uh, we also have, on a much more serious note, you know, the Christmas story itself is about Jesus, and it is from the book of Luke in the Bible, and as it happens, the, uh, people who have been doing all of these word-for-word gospel, uh, adaptations, the first one was the, uh, the Gospel of John some years ago, which had a lovely score, by the way, uh, they've done the Gospel of Luke, which, um, and this comes on the heel of the Gospel of Mark with the same actor, and it is word for word, which can be a little tedious, but uh, you know what? It's it's there's some money behind it. It's not terribly done. And uh, if you want something that just sort of, if you want to kind of keep your keep your give your Christmas uh, an appropriately religious veneer, it is out there, and it's from Lionsgate. Uh, it's on DVD. It's very nicely photographed. Uh, still, of these films, I think the Gospel of John is the one they spent the most money on, and certainly feels like the most real movie. Uh, we also have. Uh, giveaway. Uh, one copy of Frosty the Snowman, mm-hmm. 45th Anniversary Collector's Edition, and one copy of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, 45th Anniversary Collector's Edition, the original Rankin-Bass Classics. 45th? Seriously? And these are from a couple of years ago. Yeah. You know, these were released, but they've been re-released. Yeah. And so uh, go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com. Put Frosty 
in the subject line. Uh, if you want Frosty, put Santa in the subject line. If you want Santa Claus, put your name and address in the body of the email. And uh, make sure it gets to us by the 17th. By the 17th. That's as late as we will uh, be able to pick it and hopefully still get it to somebody in time for Christmas. Um, but yeah, Santa and Frosty in the subject line. And, you know, both of these are great. We, uh, we with my daughter, we watched uh, Rudolph last night. Because uh, we're watching them all now. One yeah. every night for, for like the next week. We're just going to load yeah. it on up. So we watch Rudolph. She loves Rudolph. Loves Rudolph. And, uh, yeah, so then we're going to probably watch uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town tonight. Maybe Frosty. She loves Frosty, too. I was never a big fan of Frosty, I'll be honest with you. I I, I like, they're, well, they're all wonderful, but you, it's the nature of the presentation that yeah. I love the most, which, of course, all of that would be 3D now. Yeah. Uh, you know. But, but you know, there's the something. Same. You notice even commercials like Honda, like the Honda uh, the Winter Days or whatever they call the Honda Oh, yeah. With the, they with even the, do yeah. the, with the, with the, the imitation Rankin-Bass yeah, animation. Yeah. And, you know, Elf. We wouldn't even have Elf if yeah. there weren't for, if it weren't for those movies. Yeah, exactly, exactly, so. exactly. Oh, man, that's coming up on 20 years now, too. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yes, it is. It's over. <laughs> it's over. Oh, man. Yeah, Elf is, is, Elf is 23 years now. Maybe, I think. Oh, my goodness. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's I'm, I'm well anyway, and then we also have three. Uh, we also have Ed Asner again as Santa Claus, which he you know he has done before and uh, it's good. Santa stole our dog. He's good. Uh, makeup's a little bit uh, funky, but uh, you know what? This is this is absolutely innocuous, and uh, the original songs are wonderful. Dolly Parton, John Schneider, Lieber and Stoller. This is not bad. Santa Stole Our Dog. It's kind of a silly title, but uh, it's cute. It's, uh, you know, look, my favorite my favorite live-action Christmas movie every season is Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Uh, not because it's good, it's terrible, but I have great nostalgia for it. Uh, my wife will not let me show it to our daughter. Why? Because it's, um, it's freaky. And it's got Martians, <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's got uh, whammo air blasters used for alien ray guns. When she's and... about when she's about twelve or thirteen, you can yeah. kick that one in. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Better Watch Out. We're giving away two copies of Better Watch Out. Go ahead and uh, send us a, an email with the word "scary" in the subject line. Scary will get you. Uh, in the enrolled to uh, possibly get a be one of the two winners of Better Watch Out, which comes in a Blu-ray DVD combo set. And uh, I wouldn't say this is really all that scary. Uh, it's kind of like a uh, a light. It's it's sort of like a. I mean, Home Alone is already a Christmas movie, mm -hmm. so this is like a little darker version of Home Alone. Uh, it's basically a, a babysitter and a couple of kids and some home intruders, you yeah. know, come at Christmas time. I, you know, I, it, it's not bad. This is from Wellgo, and uh, it uh, it's like Scream. Like, let's say it's, oh, it's a cross between Scream okay. and Home Alone with a with a with a Christmas background. Yeah, with a uh, with with a young actress who looks an awful lot like a young Natalie Portman. It's kind of creepy. Even, I mean, she in the movie and in the artwork. She, oh wow! Right? She, yeah. Yeah. But in the movie, really, there's a real Natalie Portman quality to her. Yeah, but, like but, Natalie Portman from The Professional. Yes. Like from that far back. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. So oh, man, there, man. there are your. Christmas titles, probably the last Christmas titles we'll get to before uh, Christmas. Uh, you, you know they're doing a Christmas story uh, live. 
uh, uh, the, the, like no, like a, a Hollywood Bowl. Yes, I, well, well, one of the one of the you know local theaters. But oh, like, wow. yeah, oh, wow. um, all right, I got a, a few few new movies. Let's, knock, let's knock the new ones. Yeah, uh, uh, from you know Illumination. Man, the, the cats over there really killed it with the whole Despicable. Yeah, this is Despicable Me three, cheap. and they slipped that and they slipped that Minions movie. Yeah, in, yeah, because you don't have to change anything about the characters. You just point yeah. them in a different direction, <laughs> make them slip through it. Of course, they make them cheap. In any case, uh, very very popular. Uh, the Despicable uh, movies. This one uh, has gives Gru a twin brother. You know, it's a yeah. Gru come together. Whatever. I didn't. So Steve it. Carell gets uh, gets a, Steve Carell's making a lot of money this season. Yeah, I just yeah. want to say that between the tennis movie, between uh, two flags of our father, uh, yeah, the flag flags of our fathers, you know, whatever, Despicable Me, two voices. Yeah, he's yeah. having a good year. Uh, anyway, this is fantastic. Packed with all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, on this uh, 4K Ultra HD movie and Blu-ray. Uh, so go bananas on that. Uh, deleted scenes, character profiles. I suppose, you know, if you're a completist, uh, you want this in that little Minions movie, too. Yeah. Uh, what the heck? You might as well, right? Uh, James, James Franco, high school lover. James Franco's all over the place. I, this is this is one of, uh, one of the uh, 27 movies that he made in 2017. Uh, or at least it seems. Doesn't it seem like James Franco just never stops working? In, he had a, he had that period there when it was even crazier. Of course, the Disaster Artist, you know, which is in theater. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, when when he was even on a daytime soap opera, I think. Right. Yeah. He like wrote a book. He was on a daytime soap opera. He was the. Yeah. He was, uh, it was kind of funny. Did a book. A bit, did a book of poetry. Yeah. Uh, had a juggling act, uh, performed in Ringling, Ringling Brothers <laughs> Circus, uh, had a talk show in three different countries at the same time in three different languages. Can't keep up with the guy. I mean, I will say he just doesn't stop. It's unbelievable. Uh, so, look, Disaster Artist is very funny. I don't know if it's a great film. It's very funny. He did a good job. But the thing with that movie is I, Tommy Wiseau is such a caricature of himself. Mm -hmm. like he's already engaged in self-parody. So Franco performing... Tommy Wiseau, is he is he actually because he got a lot of votes for that in our group. I mean, yeah, people really yeah, love yeah, that performance. Yeah. But I'm kind of torn. I love the performance too, but is it a performance or is it a parody of a self parody? Well, it, it I suppose it depends on how you feel about Tommy Wiseau, who yeah. is engaged in an affectation of a sort. Oh, but, of course. But, but but obviously, it's something that's a that's a necessity. Yeah. Uh, brought upon by I don't know what because we don't know a whole lot about Tommy. Yeah. We know there was an accident. We know that he's ultimately. I think we decided he was from Poland. Yeah, he's original. from a, he's from a town in Poland. Uh, but... uh, and, you know, so so New Orleans via Poland. But you know, what do you know? Um, this is what I like about James. James dares to give it a go. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's my it. favorite thing about James yeah. Franco. You know, if you that's say true. something, hey James, yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, got, I appreciate that. James there is no, that is really true. That's the thing about him, isn't it? There's, there is no reluctance. Yeah. He just dives in. Never consider saying no. Never, no, ever. Let's just do it. You know, you, all right. You come out the other side of it, and it'll James. probably be garbage. But you know, James, what do you think we should? How about making a doing a remake of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? And you're saying, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I'm doing do it. it. Can I play Santa? Do it. Can I play Santa? You, I can uh, just, okay. You know. Okay. Do, do you want to? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe let's get Piazzadora. Let's get her again. <laughs> let's get her to play the mom this time. Uh, don't don't put any ideas in his head, man. Oh my God, my okay, God, my God. so anyway, uh, back to it. High school lover James Franco. It's not bad. Uh, it's 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 you know it's perfectly fine. I mean it's uh, it's a little bit of a throwaway. Uh, he plays a dad here, and uh, you know there's a there's an a an inappropriate relationship, uh, 
and he does a good job. Um, it, you know, it's it's perfectly fine. I don't know that there's anything really spectacularly uh, uh, good about it. It's kind of one of those obsession thrillers, and you know, it it kind of it's a throwaway movie, but. Scott James Franco. Yeah, what are you going to do? They gonna all do. Yeah. Um, uh, Lost in Paris. This, this is the, this, so this is uh, Dominic Abel and Fiona Gordon uh, in another installment of what is a series of movies, actually, in which they play these sort of same characters, uh, characters named Dominic and, and, and Fiona. They, the, the movies don't always follow in line. Sometimes they originally meet for the first time in each one of the movies, including in this uh, this one, Lost in Paris. Uh, this one has Fiona, who's never been to Paris, who goes to Paris to uh, to, to, to uh, meet her uncle, her auntie, who's a little my, uh, myopic and a little senile, and she runs into this beggar named uh, Dominique, and then they have all these sort of wacky adventures. You know, it's fun in, in, in the way that most of these movies that they do are they're sort of these performance artists? They're very, very famous in France, uh, in, in in Europe in general. Uh, sort of a uh, Tati meets Charlie Chaplin kind of thing that's I'm going on that. there, and it's you know it's lovely uh, and funny uh, and a little bit over the top, and uh, you might like it. There's not a whole lot of stuff on this. Some special features and on the set interview, uh, a video essay uh, from critic Peter De Bruges, our Peter De Bruges. Yeah, uh, there uh, and uh, and a few other things. It's a it's a fun um, uh, installment of a series of movies. You don't need to have seen any of the other movies to appreciate this, but you know what the heck. Uh, I got a couple of DVDs, not Blu-rays here. Valley of Bones, which is uh, not a terrible western. Westerns are making kind of a weird little mini comeback. Yeah. You noticed that? Yeah. I uh, got that Bill Pullman thing that I got to cover for Film Week next lefty, week. Battle of Lefty. Battle of Lefty, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then Hostiles, the Scott Cooper thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you count the sort of modern westerns, or even, you know, more yeah. of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, so we're, we're having an, another western-y moment. Uh, and this is one of those kind of modern westerns. Uh, Valley of Bones. It is, uh, you know, it, 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 this is trafficking in that idea that there is still, that the Western still lives sort of in our soul. And if you go to substantial parts of the country, you still sort of, uh, you know, we, we may have cars and pickups and, uh, and, uh, telephones and computers, but the, the Western is still very much alive in this story. And, um, What's a little weird about this is that there's a there's kind of a paleontology dinosaur bone angle to the story, which is a little bit kind of peculiar, and you sort of wonder how that ties in with all of the the thrillery aspects of it. But it eventually does, so it's uh, it's not bad. Uh, Valley of Bones, Autumn Reeser, Reese Cord, uh, Alexandra Billings, uh, Mark Margulis, a lot of a lot of actors that you would not know by name, but you know their faces and. Uh, um, it's probably a, more of a rental than anything. And uh, Lemon got a little bit of uh, a little. I did Lemon. I, I seem to recall Lemon got a few votes for something in our group. Did it? Yeah, as I recall, it did too. It's a you know interesting movie. Yeah, it's okay. This is one of those uh, middle-aged misfit movies. Forty-year-old virgin meets you know all the other twenty-seven of them. Uh, you know, uh, Matt Brett Gelman plays this guy who's forty years old, and you know his life's a mess, and his family's a mess, and everything's kind of falling apart. And it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's supposed to be a cautionary tale. Don't wait too long before you get your act together. I guess. Yeah. What these movies do anyway. Fun cast. Uh, Michael Sarah's in this, um, which is you know he's 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 better in Molly's game. Basically playing uh, as has been explained to me that he plays Tobey Maguire in that movie. 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, Michael Sarah Michael Sarah's becoming a much more interesting actor than I I ever really thought he would. Uh, yeah, interesting interesting cast here. The supporting cast is is good. Uh, you know, Fred Malamed, who I always really really love, David Paymer, uh, Megan Mullally, Jeff Garland, uh, you know, Neil Long, Marla Gibbs. It's a it's a it's a it's a really interesting sporting cast, um, you know, just a kind of a one of those indies, one of a very particular kind of indie. But I like the fact it's called Lemon and it comes in a lemon colored DVD case. Good marketing. Somebody made a good decision I there. Think that he's a lemon. Logan Lucky Steve, did you watch this is a Soderbergh? Yes. Uh, you know, not not top notch Soderbergh, uh, but but shaped like a Steven Soderbergh it film. It is. It feels like it feels like something that Soderbergh. You know, once every once Soderbergh called up his buddies and said, "Hey, how about we make a little movie like this?" and uh, everybody signed on. And they made it, and it's it's fine, but it's a it's a, it's a minor film. Every every now and again, um, well, when he's when he hasn't retired from filmmaking mm-hmm. or done some other thing, he will go and make uh, a little film, sort yeah. of like outside of the range of uh, of the big movie. I've always I'm a fan of that. Yeah, I am. Too. I, I used to always say that you know a lot of the big directors, particularly ones of our youth, the Castings and the Levinson yeah. and all those guys, they would make the Donners and Zemeckis's, and the films would get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, Scorsese. And we used to always say, man, if they would just go back and, you know, get $3 million and make some little movie uh, the size of, uh, you know, whatever it was that they were doing 30 or 35 or 40 years ago. Anyway, every now and again, Soderbergh will do that. Uh, and uh, I, rather, I rather enjoy it when he does. I like this. It's a snappy little film. It's just a caper film. Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, uh, you know, they're going to pull off this heist at the uh, Coca-Cola 600. One yeah. of those kind of things. This thing has some deleted scenes on it. I thought it was funny. Moved pretty quick. I have no problem with this yeah. movie. It's a minor film, but you know Soderbergh does a really good job with all that stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, it's okay. Uh, here's a movie that has disappeared from the uh, the award season roadmap. It's a little bit too bad. I'm not sure that it, it really belongs in the in the mix, but keep an eye on this movie. It's called Rememory. Uh, Peter Dinklage. Probably yeah. his best performance of his career. Yeah, when he's uh, on the Game of Thrones. Anyway, it's yeah, yeah and he is just wonderful in this. Um, this is a really interesting movie, and it's not entirely successful, but it's unbelievably ambitious. It's one of those, you know, it's grasp, it's it's reach exceeds its grasp kind of films. Very uh, high concept. Super high concept. So, uh, without giving anything away, Martin Donovan plays a an amazing uh, tech innovator. Who has who has pioneered a a machine that can capture a person's memories, and there are a whole lot of really interesting ethical and uh, legal questions that get wrapped up in that. Peter Dinklage is a guy who is who appears to be some kind of a fan, an acolyte, maybe a groupie of this guy, and it is it is. I'm, Gosh, I, I'm trying to do this without giving away any plot points. Let's let's just say that their lives are connected in a very interesting way that you don't see coming. Mm. It's not a Twilight Zoney ending, but it's a really interesting journey, and it's basically Peter Dinklage's journey. Martin Donovan is is the guy who he's the brains behind this technology, and his life certainly factors in. But keep you know stick with Peter Dinklage and a very very interesting, very quiet and reserved performance. Uh, this thing was written and directed by a guy named Mark Polanski. I swear, Mark Polanski I- I- will do something huge in the next few years. This yeah. is this is like a perfect resume piece to just get set up for something incredible. One of uh, the late uh, young Anton Yelchin's last one or two movies. Uh, yeah, that movie. So. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yes. uh, uh, Valerian, Luke Bisson. Luke, uh, you know, w- 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 when it comes to making. 
absolutely insane. He had to get rid of a phone call there. When it comes to making absolutely sort of insane, <laughs> big, uh, is, uh, elaborate movies, Luke is, you know, all the way back to the fifth element, you know. Yeah. So this is his milieu. This is yeah. what he does. Yeah. Um, I, you look, I was never into this particular storyline. It's another one of those sort of big graphic sort of things like that. Anyway, so, you know, it's not my sort of... It's, 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 it's like a French version of, uh, or a French-inspired version of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, you That's know. That's all it is. Yeah, and yeah. it's... It, it's a comic. I never, you know, when I was in France, I sort of I was aware of it, never really paid attention to it. But he loved it when he was a kid, and he wanted to make it into a movie, and he did. And it's, it's, you know, it came on the heels of Guardians of the Galaxy two, and nobody went to see it. No, yeah, you know, it just so, didn't. Saw but, the, the special effects were interesting, but it just did not capture me. It's, 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 you know, look, it's a juicy four K. If you want to see all that, uh, all that CGI and all the sound blown up, lossless, and just explode on your 4k tv and it, it this thing should be shown on every single set in uh, in best buy it's yes, a well, great that's, showcase that's but... exactly what it is for <laughs> yes, uh, that's, that's it. exactly what it is for anyway not a whole lot on this disc but uh go ahead and check it out anyway valerian all right good time robert pattinson uh i'm not on board yeah, we, a few people talked I'm not about on it. Board. This, I know, you know yeah, but uh, yeah, what do you? I had, when we when we started voting, uh, a lot of people who had seen this at uh, the festivals, they said, "Oh my gosh, Robert Pattinson is like the career performances, the Safty brothers, they're amazing." And you know what? This movie is amazing for that first scene, which has nothing to do with Robert Pattinson, mm-hmm. where one of the Safty brothers, and the Safty brothers are are uh, are they twins? Uh, are they twins? Or are they separated by a year or two? Yeah. Anyway. Well, the, the Safdie brothers write and direct, and one of them acts. And the one who acts plays this, plays Robert Pattinson's brother in the movie, who's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's mentally challenged. And, he, you know, it's never clear if it's autism or something else, but he, there's something going on. And the, the, the first scene is basically you're, you're on him, and it is a chilling performance. I mean, he's really good in that first scene. And, um,. Then it all goes downhill. Then Pattinson shows up and says, "What are you doing talking to my brother?" And then he, you know, breaks him out of the institution. Yeah. And then there's a whole crime thing, and then he loses his brother. And then there's, and I don't really understand the point of this. It feels like they just had a little bit of money and got a couple of name actors and decided to make their version of Mean Streets. I really, it just, it feels unfocused and not very well made after that first scene. Um, a lot of actors in here that I really, really like, Jennifer. Uh, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in it and does perfectly fine. And uh, Barkat Abdi, you know, continues to get work, which makes me very happy. I thought, you know, he was going to be playing uh, Somalian <laughs> yeah. pirates, yeah, Somali pirates forever. But he's not. He's getting some interesting parts, and he's a good actor. So that makes me happy. But, uh, yeah, I'm just not down with the Safety thing. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, not nothing that I haven't seen before. Right. Nothing that, nothing yeah. that I haven't seen before. Uh, the Bodyguard. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson, Gary Oldman, and Selma Hayek, and this big nutty, wacky—actually, I thought kind of funny film that I that I enjoyed. Also on 4K, uh, which is smart because you know what? This movie, this is not a very good movie, particularly. It's just it's sort of very uh, lethal weapony, diehardy kind of yeah. all those things, yeah. right? Yeah, Samuel Jackson's all with the course, but, but yeah. the thing of it is, uh, Ryan Reynolds is a, so it's like dueling quirk. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's funny, then I'm funny about what he was funny about, then he's even funnier. But this movie was number one at the box office yeah. for like four straight weeks. Yeah. Because they released it in that window. Yeah. Right? They slotted right in there. There was nothing else. And they said, we can own this month. It was like September or whatever yeah. it was. And they, they owned it, man. They just slid it right in there, and it was... It made its money, and everybody got paid. This one has yeah. a whole lot of uh, outtakes and deleted scenes. The 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 uh, the, the 4K, 
uh, Blu-ray right here. So, you know, look, if you didn't catch it in theaters, uh, catch it right here. It, it, it actually is a hoot of a movie. Uh, so Woodshock. Did you see Woodshock? I did not see that one. Okay, so Woodshock is supposed to be the coming of age of uh, two sisters, filmmaking sisters, Kate and Laura Malevi, who basically are, uh, you know, they're they they do they do edgy stuff, horror, and you know the whole thing. And this is their kind. Of, this is supposed to be a big breakthrough for them with uh, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, I I don't know how much of a breakthrough it is. It. Um, uh, I, 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 they, they have style to spare, but it's almost like too much of a resume piece, right? They're mm. they're just showing off a little bit too much, and I think Kirsten Dunst needs to make an ordinary movie again because all she's been doing is working with like Lars, and now the well, she wandered and... around hidden figures for a for a for a second or for two, a second. but other than that, yeah, but her, you know, her she's movies, a, yeah, she's she's also in yeah. Sofia Coppola's uh, yeah. The Guile, yeah. and and all of these characters are they're all uptight. Like yeah. that's her thing now. Even in even in Hidden Figures, she's she's not sort of I don't know. She's she's almost like she, she's playing like she, these ladies. She's begging for a certain kind of typecasting, uh, kind of like arcane ice queen mm. caricature. That I don't. I think she's a better actress than that. And I'm I'm just I'm kind of surprised that she seems to be seeking these parts out. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's about you know trying to I don't know. Hey, she's a serious actress and has been for a long yeah. time, so it can't. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that it's just that alone. Uh, the uh, oh, oh, the Osiris Child, a science fiction adventure volume one. Look, this this is another way. Kellen Lutz. They've been trying to make this guy a movie star. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna I, you work. know, uh, for for a long, long time. Give him a TV keep, show. Uh, he belongs on a television yeah. show. They, they keep putting a gun in his hand and and and, and sending him out there uh, to sort of do his thing. But uh, I don't know. It's got, I just don't think so. In any case, this is another attempt at that. Uh, not particularly effective, I don't think. Uh, the DVD here has several spe uh, uh, special features on it, including some featurettes and some other stuff, deleted scenes and music video. I don't know, man. Um, um, some folks are not movie stars. Some folks are mm. television stars. I think he's one of them. Totally agree. Uh, we have the Blu-ray release yeah. of Showtime's Twin Peaks, The Return. Dougie. Now, Dougie. Dougie. <laughs> now, this is, uh, this is on Blu-ray. And uh, they do not call this Twin Peaks The Return on the Blu-ray. They call it Twin Peaks A Limited Event Series. Now, this is getting very confusing because Twin Peaks fans want to know, how do we refer to this? Is this Twin Peaks Season 3? Mm -hmm. Is this Twin Peaks The Return? Mm -hmm. Or is this Twin Peaks A Limited Event Series? I don't know. Mm. I don't think it matters. Mm. Use any of the three. It's interchangeable. Uh, it's just Twin Peaks. It's the it's the new Twin Peaks, and uh, this was there's a lot of drama that went into this. If you remember originally, this was announced, and Lynch is going to do a new season of Twin Peaks, and there was a whole thing, and then uh, he put the kibosh on it and said, nope, it's not going to happen. They're not willing to uh, spend enough money, and then it was off again, and it was the most brilliant thing ever because he had created an upswell of attention, a groundswell yeah. of of uh, desire, which put pressure on Showtime. And if it didn't happen, Showtime were going to be the bad guys, yeah, yeah right? Yeah, uh, and that was a that was a great move. And Showtime they caved and they gave him something like twice as much money to make th two times more episodes. And uh, and he and the reviews were terrible. <laughs> That's a thing, <laughs> except for from you and but, me. But I I think fans loved it. And Bob Kohler, you know, that was funny. Bob yeah. Kohler, we've made a pitch in our in our voting meeting that uh, you know this is basically a very long movie. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, sure, why not? 
it, it it's very unusual. It's seventeen hours of seventeen more hours of Twin Peaks, but it's very leisurely. It's paced for showtime. Scenes go on forever. Shots go on forever. Characters have storylines that are never resolved. Uh, I mean, it's not neat and clean, but it's weird and it's freaky, and that's all people really want out of this. And and and, and you know, it 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 pushes forward. It's always pushing forward. So yeah. you know, I mean, you it it it's 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 not stagnant, and it gets no. and and it's not weird and freaky for its own sake. It loops back around. You'll have a moment. It'll be a bizarre moment, and uh, a few uh, episodes later, uh, that moment yeah. that seemed to be dangling out there pointlessly yep. uh, becomes a oh yeah. moment, oh yeah. that yeah. oh, and then of course he's constantly referring back to twenty five. Uh, what is it? Twenty seven years ago? Twenty seven yeah. years ago? Yeah, he's constantly yeah. referring 25 back. Twenty five years ago. Twenty five yeah. years ago, constantly referring back, not just to individuals, but to oh, moments, plot points. plot points, moments of relevance. So I love that about this series. I love that that all of it is in their heads, and they're trying to make it into a complete thing, a whole thing that makes sense. Uh, that whole pilot episode and Firewalk with me and you know everything. Oh yeah, everything, everything. Yeah. It's and you know it's mostly the new characters who drive this storyline, with the exception of uh, Kyle McLaughlin. But most of what Kyle McLaughlin is playing is not Agent Cooper. He's he's playing Dougie, Dougie, and the <laughs> and the evil Agent Cooper who only gets introduced basically at the end of the the very you know the very last moment of the original series. And Dougie, what a what a bizarre freaky concept that was. That was a lot of fun. It's a it's a terrific show, and you get so many extras. I haven't even finished whittling my way through it. It's amazing. Uh, there are hours and hours and hours of special features here, and uh, it's a lot of fun because you know my wife used to work for Lynch, so there are yeah. people that we know are all over this thing. So. And and you know a, a, a little bit of the last uh, moments of our, our of our good friend uh, uh, who passed away, Lucky. Uh, yes, uh, uh, yes, Harry Dean, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, uh, and, and and a few other folks. If you compare that, for instance, to the um, additional episodes of the X Files, yes. Um, to me, Twin Peaks was much more satisfying. I think the X Files, well, True. the X Files took a bit of a beating too, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, but did better in yep. terms of ratings. Yep. Uh, the, the Twin Peaks is much more satisfying. I think they're going to kick off the new X Files now. Anyway. Anyway, year three of um, uh, Fargo with Ewan McGregor. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, you know the parking lot king. I, I got to tell you, thoroughly impressed with the way they invigorated the notion from the 1996, I think it was 96 yeah. movie, right? Took that whole notion. Uh, yeah. reconfigured it into a working sort of sensible uh, television pro, and then able to get three solid uh, seasons out of it. Right. Uh, without repeating themselves, yeah. without wearing out the joke. I was afraid that they would just wear out the joke. I, I was afraid that they would just recycle the movie mm. and think that all it needs to do is have the sensibilities of the movie. Just needs to be a whole lot of uh, you know partner in the partner in the wood chipper yeah, yeah. you know funny accents and uh, and kind of gory irony in a lot of snow in a lot of snow and you know there's never it's always winter and uh, I thought they would but they didn't no they really they found uh, they found a tangent they found another way of going about it and they did a great job yeah fantastic this one has all kinds of great stuff on this is uh, this is year three by the way uh, so you got all kinds of neat stuff on here in terms of special features if you haven't. Uh, delved back into it. I came to it a little slow because I was like, I just didn't want it to mess up my movie. Yeah, you know. And then I caught up real quick. Get caught up real quick. Fargo season three. Yep. 
Uh, Simpsons season 18 on DVD. Now, just so everybody knows, there will be no more Simpsons seasons on Blu-ray. That mm. is done. That is finished. They are not doing it. Um, but they are releasing them on DVD. And um, you gotta you got to pick your poison here. you got to decide what you're going to do because it is almost certain that what they're waiting for, that Fox is realizing that people just aren't buying each individual season on Blu-ray anymore. What they're waiting for is uh, when The Simpsons finally finishes its run. Which, who knows, that could be another 10 years, you know. Uh, I, I do not think The Simpsons will outlive Dan Castellaneta, but Dan Castellaneta yeah. is still a very young man. So, mm-hmm. in all theory, he could be doing, he and Julie Kavner could be doing those characters for another 20 years. Yeah. Simpsons yeah. could wind up being a show that just ran for forever. So, uh, I think Fox wants to wait until this show has run its course, and when it's run its course, and the writing is still fairly sharp. It's yeah. not what it used to be, but it's not, uh, it's not on fumes yet. And I think when it has run its course, then there will be one of two things, or both things, which is um, the Simpsons channel, 24 hours, <laughs> 24-7 Simpsons all the time, and uh, you know they have enough episodes to justify it. Uh, or, uh, here, pay us uh, $18,000 and own every episode and, on Blu-ray. And on Blu-ray or and whatever the yeah. holographic medium is. Yeah, that, or 4K or whatever yeah, it will be. The, so, the anyway. Yeah. So, season 18, you know, there's a few, there's some fun stuff here. Uh, Marge Gamer is a cute episode. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, so just, just so you know what you're getting into. Um, if you enjoyed the series Orphan Black, the complete series here, uh, one, two, three, four, five uh, DVDs, uh, each a three-disc set, plus a booklet Yeah, uh, uh, that's actually quite extraordinary, too. Um, I, I was a big fan uh, of Orphan Black. I liked the series quite a lot. I like Tatiana Maslany the most. Uh, that's yeah. what I like about She's it. She's great. She is the thing that makes this for me. Her playing this you know, series of characters, clones, uh, sisterly yep. sort of clones, in uh, the way she was able to af- affect these extremely distinct characters uh, it has just been fascinating to watch over the course of the series. I kind of lost a thread on all of the sort of uh, intrigue and, and spy this and scientific yeah. that and all that kind of stuff. You, you know, I just didn't care. Yeah. Uh, but uh, watching her just be these different versions of herself and scenes with herself, sometimes two or three at a time, that was always fun for me. Um, so, you know, if, you're, uh, if you haven't seen the series, uh, check it out. This has audio... Uh, on various different uh, of the different features. They're just all over the place. But uh, yeah, something to listen to on every one of these things. Neat Sharp stuff. stuff. Uh, also from BBC, got uh, Planet Earth Collection. Planet Earth, the original series, and Planet Earth 2. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff on Blu-ray. The photography is just beyond, it's just beyond beautiful. Some of the best stuff that's ever, best-looking stuff that's ever been on television. Uh, narrated by the very brilliant David Attenborough. And yeah. look, I mean, you're, you're watching this basically just because it's eye candy. That's it. it uh, these guys are, from a, from a technical standpoint, these people are absolutely amazing. Uh, wonderful music by George Fenton, who, of course, did the, the music for Richard Attenborough's uh, no, movies. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, you know, everything about this is, is, is just absolutely terrific. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, the photography is is top notch. This is what digital photography was made for. This is when you know we talk about film versus digital, but mm. this is really what digital cameras can do for you. 
You can take them to these faraway places, not have to worry about the film stock running out, being overexposed, canisters change. You know, it's just, and, and it, you can manipulate it after the fact to get the look the way that you need that best replicates whatever the, the circumstances were. And the capturing of actual it's wonderful. reality. You know, I mean, yeah. in terms of nature, uh, ultra-realistic presentation is perfectly appropriate yes. when we're talking about nature photography. Yep. Not necessarily true when we're talking about narrative uh, photography. I'm not always interested in the capturing of absolute reality True. from a movies. And it's in a, in an interesting detail people should know is that Planet Earth was produced for Blu-ray in a slightly less ideal format. Uh, it was uh, 1080i. It was interlaced. Whereas Planet Earth 2 is progressive, mm. 1080p. So that those are the, that's the devil in the details. Most people will not necessarily be able to tell the difference with the naked eye. But for real purists who might be logging, the, you know, hooking their TV and their player up to some kind of a spectroscope or digital monitoring equipment, you will notice a slight tiny difference. Uh, from the BBC, Sherlock, the complete suit, the Benedict Cumberbatch series. They kicked this thing off back in 2010. Right. Yep. I didn't see it until a year later because I watched it on PBS here in the United States. I didn't have the BBC America yeah. or whatever it was yeah. that you could watch it on. So I would have to wait. Right. Right. Uh, so I came to it. A, uh, everybody's talking about this Sherlock. I'm I'm, I'm pissy. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm like man. You know, this guy. What, what are you talking about? Oh, sure, do that. I like the. I love this series. I, I loved its modernness. I loved the way that they used graphics. I loved the way I loved the way that he interpreted the the, the, yeah. the character. It's, and I, you know, I I, I loved a Watson. Uh, I, so you know, I, I I was really blown away. I don't think that there is actually a version of Sherlock Holmes to date that I don't actually like. Um, I, an, an actor, yeah. I, I can't think of one where I am where I, where I'm like, no, they blew it. Uh, even those stupid uh, uh, Guy Ritchie movies with Robert mm -hmm. Downey Jr. In it. Yep. I like those movies. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I like yeah. those movies. What am I going to say? So anyway, this is uh, Sherlock, The Complete Series, Martin Friedman and Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, uh, I, I think it was an excellently done uh, 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 series. Uh, I love the Moriarty uh, that they came up with. This is one, two, three, four, five discs, uh, five two-disc sets. Or, or actually, it's four two-disc sets and one uh, uh, a single disc set with the Abominable Bride series. People will know that part. So anyway, I, I loved it. Outstanding stuff. Lots of bonus content and, and just hours and hours of stuff. So go bananas with Sherlock, the complete series. Also, uh, the complete Inspector Lindley Mysteries uh, from BBC, which is just delightful. Uh, Thomas Lindley and uh, Barbara Havers make this just wonderful kind of... Uh, it's sort of like the thin man detectives in some respect, you know. There's great banter, great talk. I I don't know. Maybe it's not it's not romantic in the sense that the uh, that you get with something like Remington Steel or Moonlighting, yeah. right? It doesn't. Yeah. It's not quite. But it's it's very erudite, very upper class. It's very you know uh, a lot of stuff in sort of the the the, the top tiers, the British class system. Uh, it's a good show. Really smart writing. Six seasons in a complete box set from the BBC. Uh, plus a 45-minute uh, bonus feature on, you know, inspecting the inspector, which is all uh, backstory on it. Uh, this is great stuff. Uh, for As a Christmas gift, I'm sure you can know somebody who loves British television, loves British mysteries. If you love them, or if they love them, the Inspector Lindley Mysteries uh, complete series will be a welcome gift. 
Um, I absolutely adored. I love that show. As time goes by, Judy Dennis and Jeff Rudolph. It's just a beautiful, beautiful series about this older couple that's supposed yeah. to come back together. They were. Uh, they had. I mean, they, this was just. This is legendary British television. Yeah. Uh, they were. You know, they had. A, they had a romance, and then he went away to, away war, to war, and yeah. they had the separate marriages. And years later, they find each other in their twilight years and rekindle everything. And what's what's so funny about this is that all of this, the series, which I think is the what maybe middle nineties or something. Yeah, like it's that, about mid like mid nineties. It's yeah. all twenty years. Ago, man. Yeah, isn't that bizarre? Isn't that just absolutely bizarre? Now, this still is, holds this, up. This is uh, seasons one through nine, newly remastered with some bonus features on it. Uh, and and, and what I look at this, I'm looking at Judy Dench on the cover. I know she looks the same, right? She looks the same. I yeah, know. Positively lovely. Woman's man. amazing. Yeah, pick that one up. All right, uh, moving into some classic movies. Um, we're going to start with a Criterion, a Criterion release that I'm so happy about. It is not technically, technically, it is not a uh, Monty Python movie, but it kind of is. Uh, Terry Gilliam's Jabberwocky. Now, this is Terry Gilliam, of course, uh, in 1977, sort of going out on his own to forge his own career as a filmmaker, um, based on the Lewis Carroll poem. And uh, it's 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 a little bit raw, but you do see the transition from Terry Gilliam, Monty Python guy, mm. to Terry Gilliam, film auteur. You see all of that happening. This is a this is an amazing transfer. The the Criterion gloss is all over this thing, and heaps and heaps of uh, extras here, including a documentary, a brand new documentary they put together on the film uh, with Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and, uh, and, uh, actor Annette Badland and the producer Sandy Lieberson. Really, really terrific stuff. Um, uh, Gilliam and Palin do an audio commentary, which is, was originally recorded in 2001 and that comes back now. It's still a great audio commentary. Um, restored originally in 4k and then transferred to, to Blu-ray here. It's just wonderful. There's a, there's an audio interview with the cinematographer, uh, from 1998. This is a lot of fun. Uh, so I really highly recommend this, especially if you're a Terry Gilliam fan. You will get a lot out of it. Jabberwocky on Blu-ray from the Criterion Collection. Ah, uh, Terry. What I always loved about Terry is, is in the in, in, in the days before CGI, Terry built things, of course. Yeah. Gigantic this and that. But even after CGI, Terry continued to build things for quite a while. True. Eventually, he sort of gave over to it, too. Yeah. You know? uh, but for a long time there, Terry would still just build it. Uh, you know, and, It's really true. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Um, uh, uh, go, Johnny, go. Man, uh, Alan Freed, of course, uh, the sort of first uh, impresario of rock and roll, uh, leads this sort of uh, neat cast. It's really just an excuse. Uh, for, to put a lot of people together. To put a lot of people together. Performing yeah. Chuck Berry and the late Jackie Wilson and the Cadillacs and the Flamingos. And uh, just everybody, man. It's just the neatest thing in the world. Of course, Alan Freed himself. Um, uh, uh, directed by Paul Landry's uh, executive produced by Hal Roach Jr., which I always thought was kind of interesting. Anyway, um, uh, it's the sort of movie that cemented uh, rock and roll uh, and made rock and roll a thing that would go on uh, to last as long as it has today. Richie Valens, oh man, yeah, where are you going to see that? Anyway, this is kind of cool. Special features includes a commentary track uh, and the original theatrical trailer. Go, Johnny, go. Yeah. Chuck, we lost Chuck, what, last year? This last year? year. Last, last year. year, yeah. yeah I thought so. Chuck Saint, a fellow St. Louisan. Yeah. Oh, man, that's right. I forgot about that. Uh, we got a bunch of cult stuff here. I'm going to kick through it really quickly. The first one is from Cult Epics. This is a, uh, this is a real funky 60s-era Italian movie called Death Laid an Egg from a director you will never hear of again named Giulio Questi. 
but what a what a fun movie this is. So Jean-Louis Trintignant of of so many great movies, including Kieslowski's Red, all the way back to The Conformist by Bertolucci. Um, Trintignant plays um, a guy who might be a serial killer, and he's married to Gina Lola Brigida. If I were married to Gina Lola Brigida, I wouldn't yeah. be killing anybody. Just don't <laughs> even leave the house. Have any time. And then he's got a mistress. Go figure. Only in an Italian movie would a guy married to Gina Lola Brigida have a mistress. Uh, played by uh, Eva Allen. Um, and all of this is just, it, it just is very funky, madcap, not classic 1968 uh, kind of Euro, Euro hipster feel and look. It, it, it really is a, just a really kind of a bizarre flash from the past. So uh, you get an isolated score track on here as well. Original trailer, lobby cards, photo gallery. It's called Death Laid an Egg. I know that's not the original Italian title. Uh, but anyway, we also have Satan's Cheerleaders from VCI. Satan's Cheerleaders is a hilarious, hilariously bad movie. Uh, it, this is really classically in the so bad it's good vein. They made a 2K scan from the original negative, transferred it to Blu-ray. Looks fine. I mean, about as as good as you can expect from an exploitation film from 1977. Uh, John Carradine right at the end of his career. Yvonne DiCarlo right at the end of her career. Um, it's about Satan's cheerleaders for crying out loud. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it also has a DVD on it. Uh, and then we have three Agfa collection movies, uh, which are basically collaborations with something weird. Um, at least two of them are. The, uh, the Something Weird Library is all the best exploitation stuff. We worked with them when we made uh, Schlock. Yeah. And uh, the first one here is Bat Pussy. I, I, I really honestly don't know how else to describe this to you. It, it, it's, it's just one of the... It, nobody knows when this movie was made. <laughs> nobody knows who made it. It's almost like, uh, like a stag film, except yeah. there's a guy in a Batman outfit and there's a lot of nudity, and it's just it's it's terrible. It's like it, you know, it, it truly look at look look at it, seriously. Yeah, yeah, look, you see a, see him on jumping on the. You, you don't you don't even want to see that. This thing is so freaking off the wall. It's unbelievable. So you also get uh, robot love slaves in this. All of these were sort of borderline adult movies at the time, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Early seventies. Um, you also get the sword and the claw, which is not a good kung fu movie but it comes in the kung fu moment and uh it's it's strangely both good and bad it's uh, it's not like uh you know like there are certain hong kong films from the period where you go well it's really badly made but at least the fighting is really interesting yeah. and the choreography yeah this is just a mess this is 1975 and made by a director named natuk baiton uh i believe this may have it's definitely from the uh, from the subcontinent. This is not a this is not a Hong Kong film. This is uh, you know like Indian or Tamil or Sri Lankan one of those. And I've seen some Sri Lankan kung fu movies in the in the past. Yeah, Bangladeshi kung fu movies, terrible. Yeah, really bad. So this is one of those. Uh, so just so you know what you're getting into, it's a cult film, but it's not a very good cult film. The Violent Years is the last one from Agfa and something weird. Uh, this was written by Ed Wood. And directed by William Morgan, who's not much uh, better of a director than Ed Wood. Uh, it's really, it's, it's, it's just, you know, a bad girl movie. Uh, bad girls going out and being delinquents and, uh, you know, doing all kinds of horrible, horrible crimes and sexual things. And, and you know, it's an exploitation film. 
classic exploitation film from 1956, the very, very beginning of the exploitation era. It includes Anatomy of a Psycho as well, 2K scan from the original print. And uh, you know what? If you love uh, exploitation stuff, you'll, you'll just love this. This, is, this hits every, checks off every box in the genre. And you get uh, a really good commentary track on here with uh, Frank Henenlotter, joined by Ed Wood biographer Rudolph Gray. It's, uh, you know, it's, if you like these movies, if, you'll, if you're an Ed Wood fan, you'll, you'll get everything that you could possibly hope for. His script is hilariously awful. It is the vi- <laughs> it is, it's the violent years. Uh, speaking of exploitation, uh, you got a couple more over there you want to knock off? Uh, no, no, hit those. Exploitation, no. J.D.'s Revenge. Dude, this movie in 1976, I remember going to see this movie in theaters in 1976. I would have been, oh, I think about 14 or 15 years old. Uh, you know, and this would have fallen under, I suppose, the the purview of black exploitation cinema. Sure, I, I, I guess. But but I remember it being a very sort of uh, dramatic and serious film that didn't strike me as the same. It's about this uh, young young black uh, uh, man. He's a law student. He has a wife, a uh, girlfriend, and uh, and he gets possessed by this evil spirit. Uh, who had killed someone years ago. And it's played by Glenn Turnan, young Glenn Turnan, who, had, of course, had been in Cooley High. And, and uh, it's just, you know, it was, it was just this really, really neat movie, directed by Arthur Marks. Lou Gossett Jr. was in this movie. Uh, just all of these, these actors uh, who would go on to become sort of like the sort of foundational uh, actors who I would be paying attention to for the next 25, <laughs> it's, 30 years. It's of my amazing life, you when know. you see them show up in those early movies. Yeah, it's, you it's, know, and, so, wow. and they and that they hung around. Anyway, uh, this is JD's Revenge. You know, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but it's but uh, it, it was a pretty neat film for me, um, and I think you should check it out. Um, um, uh, it has all kinds of stuff uh, on it: special edition contents, just a brand new 2K restoration. Uh, high definition Blu-ray, uh, 1080p presentation. It's just a really, really neat movie. And the soundtrack from the 1970s, forget about it. Just forget about it. Even if you you only listen to the music, uh, pop that movie in and check it out. And George C. Scott, I remember George C. Scott, Mussolini, The Untold Story. I remember watching this entire seven-part miniseries. I do too. About 1985, yeah. right? And you know, George C. Scott and Lee Grant, of course, I don't think I had I, – I might have clocked into Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio by then because she might have been in – she might have been in The Color of Money by then. Right. Maybe that was the year she was in The Color yeah. of Money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Paul I, Newton, think, it, it, I think it was. So I think that that was just the launch of her. So I was paying attention to her. But Virginia Madsen and Raul Julia and Gabriel Byrne and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Uh, Gunnar Moeller are all in this seven-part miniseries. A miniseries – which was based on the memoir of Vittorio Mussolini, who yeah. was Benito's eldest son, uh, and just wrote this memoir about yeah. his father. You know, going all the way back to the early twenties from the black shirts and all Crazy. that kind of stuff, El Duce, and yeah. you know, and then I Latter Day Caesar and all of that. The thing is, Vittorio didn't like his dad. Didn't like his dad no. at all. No, <laughs> you dead. know, and did not did not whitewash his dad at all, which I thought was pretty neat. Anyway, um, uh, an interesting, interesting thing. George C. Scott, Mussolini, The Untold Story. Check it out. Got a couple from Shout Select, uh, a couple of collector's editions of movies that I am, I'm sorry, I'm fond of, even though I know they've got problems, but, you know, uh, it's 80s nostalgia. 1981, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, Lily Tomlin, yeah. along with Charles Grodin and Ned Beatty, and then 1985, Into the Night, John Landis directing a very, very charming Jeff Goldblum and an irresistible Michelle Pfeiffer. 
Um, you know what? These are kind of a, a couple of classic 80s movies. The Incredible Shrinking Woman sort of belongs to a kind of comedy that represents a transition from the 70s to the 80s. Yeah. And it's because it's because part of it is still there's a you know, the comedies from the 70s could be very sort of avant garde. Sure. And, yeah, uh, Ashby is still working. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Going back even into the into the into the sixties, you still have the residue of that. But we're starting to also be a lot more commercial at the same time. They're really they're really trying to hit some. You know, we're we're getting closer to all of those 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 big formulaic beat comedies yeah. in the in the nineteen eighties. And this kind of you know like the Chevy Chase stuff, the vacation stuff, the the John Hughes and all that, right? Yeah. So uh, John Candy, you know, all yeah, that. The woman in red over here. I'm going to talk yeah. about in a second. Yeah, and and uh, so the incredible shrinking woman kind of fits in there, and it, it, this was really Lily Tomlin's, you know, breakthrough as as a, a comic genius uh, to really pay attention to. Uh, the, the, many people don't realize this was directed by Joel Schumacher for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah, sure. uh, so um, you know this is a, a really kind of an oddity, but a but a noteworthy oddity. And Into the Night, I just think is a wonderful, wonderful oh, little. B.B. King's uh, uh, wonderful score for that movie. It was a gritty movie too, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Goldblum plays this guy. He, he it, finds it, out his wife is having an affair, and he ends up. He goes. He takes a nap at LAX. Yeah. And he and he stumbles across this young who's in distress, and he helps her. And the next thing you know, he's involved in this whole wacky thing. I love that Landis is in that movie. Yeah, he plays one of the, and that was probably because the villains are is like a Persian, this sort of like Persian. I don't know. She's like this hardcore Persian gangster woman. I think that might have been one of the first moments. When uh, you know Persians as opposed to Arabs, yes, were given were, were, a specific yeah. screen identity. Yeah. Um, I love that David Bowie is a hitman in this thing. Yeah, I love the way that Los Angeles is depicted at night. Oh yeah, because if you live here, and I know, didn't live here yet then. Is that he, was the year before I moved here. Los Angeles is it's unlike other major cities of the world. It doesn't really have. Like New York has this really romantic, like you see the skyline in Paris and Tokyo and Hong Kong and all in London. All these cities have very a, a certain personality. LA's personality is it's a mess. It's sprawling. It has no center. It's sort of it certainly did not have a distinctive uh, visual presentation. Yeah, and, uh, but yeah, certainly not back then. But at night, LA turns into something else. Bing. And it, and it, and it becomes a, the universe. Is what I always thought of it as. Yeah, and this and and somehow this movie captures that. When in you a drive up uh, Sepulveda, yeah, there are fires uh, burning our city yeah, well, down it, right, now, right, right now. Right now, it's, it's horrible. Speak, hopefully, by the time this airs, it'll all be out. <laughs> yeah. And you hit that spot at the top of the 101 or the Sepulveda Pass, and you can and you can look out over the valley in one direction if you happen to be able to look backwards back over the city in the other direction. Yeah. And it's nothing but twinkles and twinkles of city lights every day. I always thought that that looked like the whole universe to me yeah that, that always was the best representative of, of la that sort of uh all those lights yep better than the hollywood sign very true uh the woman in red gene wilder charles groden joseph this is not like the best of any of these people's movies I mean, <laughs> no, the best charles groden moment in midnight express best gene wilder movie there are a whole bunch of those but anyway gilda ratner in this movie uh, i think it might have been uh, gilda's last movie before we lost her uh, and uh, and a young Kelly LeBrock who had first gotten in Weird Science. I think Weird Science preceded this movie, if I'm not mistaken. And Kelly LeBrock became this thing uh, uh, in the zeitgeist. And she, so that when she played the woman in red, 
more or less sort of doing a, a, a sort of brunette version of Marilyn Monroe's sort of, you know, uh, wind up the, the, the dress. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff. It, it actually was quite captivating. And a great song, man. And then Stevie Wonder. That's a great song. Stevie Wonder capped it off. Anyway, I, I can still watch this movie. It's still kind of funny to me. Even though it didn't work nearly as well uh, back in 1984 when it came out. Plus, it's only 87 minutes long. So check it out. The one Beautiful. With, uh, uh, an audio commentary on it, too. Uh, really interesting cult film here. The uh, Man from Earth, special edition. The, uh, this is really, if you've never heard of this, directed by Richard Shankman, uh, written by Jerome Bixby. This is a very interesting genre film. And uh, it's uh, it's worth it's worth if you're if you're a fan of intelligent sci-fi, it's really really worth checking out. Uh, Jerome Bixby, you know, uh, of course, legendary science fiction writer, Star Trek, and and a lot of other things to his uh, to his credit. And um, this is a really interesting. This is almost like an intellectual's version of uh, Highlander. It deals with the subject of immortality. And but in in a really interesting societal way, in a in an almost sociological approach, um, the 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 idea of a man revealing to people to skeptics that he uh, he is actually you know some kind of a, an evolutionary immortal, it's really really interesting idea. Definitely worth checking out. Um, lots of extras on here. Uh, this also is only eighty seven minutes long. Uh, but it it, it really it, this is a this is a terrific terrific uh, special edition, uh, Man from Earth, on Blu-ray and DVD. Really worth checking out for uh, intelligent sci-fi fans. If you like kind of things like the Lathe of Heaven, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, Ursula Le Guin. It's 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 that kind of uh, thoughtful sci-fi, like Kis- uh, 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 Tarkovsky, uh, yeah, Solaris. Uh, 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 it gets yeah. into that same same neck of the woods. Maybe even uh, jo- uh, well, not Jodorowsky. Um... Uh, Jaco uh, Van Dormiel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Van Dormiel Mr. for sure. Van Dormiel, uh, Mr. Nobody. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. spot on. And then uh, also uh, we have another weird kind of uh, culty resurrected movie with a very very young Mel Gibson uh, in uh, Attack Force Z. This is Mel Gibson and Sam Neill in a uh, in an Australian uh, kind of old mil- war film that's. Uh, it's dated. Uh, it takes place in World War II, and you know, deals with a trying to you know, the, the an occup- Japanese occupied island, and you know, it's kind of a kind of a, kind of the usual thing. But um, it uh, like it's dated, but yet it's got its moments, and you can. And what's really interesting about it is not so much Sam Neill, who really is looks the same then and looks the same now and has never really changed. Yeah. But uh, Mel Gibson, who looks young then and looks like an old man now, and you kind of start to wonder what is Sam Neill doing that Mel is not. You don't want to be a you look. <laughs> I, it took me a long time to realize this. You don't want to be a young pretty boy. Because the differential yeah. between, uh, you know, the, that period in your life when you were a young pretty boy, however long yeah. it lasts, till you're 30, 40, and where you will inevitably end up is too distant yeah. uh, and, and, and will be noticed. If you start off look, looking fairly ordinary or maybe even not that great, John C. Riley. Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. Who, yeah. who yeah. looks the same now as he did 35 yeah. years yeah, that's ago. All right. If you start out that way, when you're 85 years old, people will think you're great looking. Uh, you know what? 30 years ago, I thought Stellan Skarsgård was 50 years old. Yeah. Today, I think he's 40. Yeah. I have no idea how old he really is. It's, 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 I'm telling you, it's, you don't want to be a pretty boy. Anyway, Attack Force Z. Uh, it's a you know, it's curiosity. 
it's not, you know, it, I, I won't call it an Ozploitation movie, but it's kind of near it. Anyway, it's a decent war film, uh, but interesting mainly for who's in it on Blu-ray. Uh, shall I knock off a couple? Yeah, let's knock off a couple, and then we'll uh, we'll come close to calling it quits. I got to tell you, this adaptation of Stephen King's uh, Misery, uh, for whom directed by Robert uh, Rob Reiner, yeah, and but but William Goldman did this adaptation, and I think that that's what makes the difference. You know, Stephen yeah. King adaptation. This is nineteen ninety. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King adaptations uh, weren't always uh, fantastic. There was a period there when they, you know, if, if Kubrick's doing it, yeah, you're yeah. okay. Yeah, uh, you, you know, you get The Shining or something like that. But sometimes, you know, the pet cemeteries, pets, you know, you, you, you make a mess out of it. Yeah. Uh, but this was done so beautifully in Kathy Bates and Jimmy Kahn. It's the last time Rob Reiner yeah. really, really had a handle on his directing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, you have that Stephen King story adapted by William Goldman. Yeah. There's really no way to screw this it up. It kind of isn't. <laughs> you know, if you and, 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 and he didn't. This is fantastic. Uh, this is the collector's edition. Um, uh, all kinds of stuff in terms of special features. Far too much to mention here, but it, there is an audio commentary with the screenwriter William Goldman, which I think is the most important thing on this uh, uh, DVD. But there's way, way, way more than that. So check it out. And uh, we will close out with a bunch of great titles from Twilight Time for the uh, the holiday season. It's a wonderful December batch from Twilight Time, starting with uh, a Shikiku film. Yes, Twilight Time mines a lot of stuff from 20th Century Fox and Columbia and, uh, and the studio uh, libraries. But you know what? They also get a lot of great Japanese stuff, primarily from Shokiku. And um, Yoji Yamada, one of my favorite living Japanese directors, made The Yellow Handkerchief in 1977. And uh, I had never seen this before. This is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, really, it's just fantastic. It's adapted from... Um, some American journalism written in 1971, uh, and it's basically a road trip uh, by three people who just, uh, you know, kind of experience life on the road. And uh, it's interesting that you take it's it's a little Kurosawa-like in that way that you're you're taking American source material, turning it around, giving it a Japanese spin, and it's a you know a classic road trip in this case, and uh, it, it wound up being just a, a, an amazing a, an amazing result. It's fa fantastic film from 1977. Um, you can only get this if you go to uh, twilighttimemovies.com, and uh, or you can go to screenarchives.com. Has an isolated score track, which is just wonderful as well. And uh, they only make 3,000 copies of each of these. Wow. And then we also have uh, Marlon Brando in the Oscar-winning Sayonara, which uh, also has a, a, a tremendous isolated uh, music and effects track, which features you know Irving Berlin song and Franz Waxman music, uh, based on the novel by James Michener. Um, Ricardo this is, Montalban. Ricardo Montalban, the wonderful Miko Taka. You know, this is one of... This is one of the earlier films that that really decided we're not going to cast white people as Asians. We're going to yeah. go and find ourselves some actual Asian actors. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's... It's not exactly Mickey Rooney running around breakfast at Tiffany's. No, you but, know. you know, it's 1957, same year as Bridge in the River Kwai. Yeah. There is a real sea change in Hollywood at this time. And uh, it's, you know, Marlon Brando uh, it just he gives it that extra Hollywood luster. And... Um, I think it's a terrific film. I think it's. I think Sayonara is just an absolutely great movie. And then the uh, the last three interesting collection of uh, all across the section the the uh, an interesting cross section of stuff from the uh, the era, Gidget the original Gidget Yay. with uh, with Sandy D. 
just absolutely fabulous movie. I love this so so much. It's a it's so much fun. Uh, it does you know it doesn't mean to be a great movie, but it's the beginning of that teen moment. 1959, the baby boom kids who were you know the soldiers who'd started to come home around mm. about 1942, having babies. They're teenagers by the late 50s. These are one of the, these are some of the first baby boom movies, and it's an interesting thing because Sandra Day, of great. course, Sandra Day, of course, a, you know, lovely bouncy uh, oh. blonde, a gorgeous blonde, Gidget, um, um, uh, who was written by this fella who based yeah. who based the character on his daughter, who was a cherubic uh, sort of uh, brunette, yeah, little, you know, little, little round uh, brunette girl, but but Sandra D was like physically the absolute opposite of his actual daughter. I checked Sandra D in once. I sold her a, t- a movie ticket to Greystoke. <laughs> oh, really? About nineteen eighty-three. Eighty-three, and she and she was. You could tell she was not in good health. Uh-huh. Uh, it was very sad. Made me very very sad. You know, she was she was getting kind of frail and weak. And, yeah, yeah. But uh, but she was she was lovely. She was still very pretty, and and it was I, I was very excited. I don't think anybody else would knew it was Sandra D. They just she and you know and a, and a companion came up to buy tickets, and I was like. Sandra D. <laughs> I was nerding out. Eventually, Gidget, of course, was played by Sally Field. Yes. Who was a cherubic on television. Little, on television, little yeah. brown uh, brunette girl who yeah. looks just like his daughter. Yeah. So he was able to, like, you know what? I got to fix that. Yeah. You know, and uh, there, there you go. And then uh, fantastic Leslie Brickus musicalized version of Dr. Doolittle with Rex Harrison as the, uh, the man who talks to animals. Uh, directed by Richard Fleischer. Uh, you know, I read all those Hugh Lofting books when I was a kid, and uh, they've never really been adapted as the books are. The books are wonder, almost Little Prince-style storytelling. Mm. Um, it's very, it's it's a certain style that just almost doesn't translate to movies very well, but, you know, it's certainly not Eddie Murphy, and it's certainly not uh, Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison yeah. But nonetheless, this is a wonderful, fun film all by itself. The isolated track, of course, is very special here because it's a musical. And uh, there's an audio commentary with Leslie Brickus and uh, Mike Matasino, who is a film music historian. Featurette on Rex Harrison in the original trailer. Beautiful Blu-ray. Looks fantastic. Twilight Time really, really did a, did a wonderful job there. Samantha and then Egger. Richard Attenborough. We, we, talked about, we talked about his brother. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. Little, but Rich, people forget Richard used to act. I know. And that's Richard true. Richard acted a lot. He acted... Yeah. yeah, always. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a long time. Great escape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then lastly, I love the fact that Twilight Time keeps bringing us Woody Allen movies. Uh, I just did a review for uh, for CineGods.com on uh, Wonder Wheel, which I think is a really super important Woody Allen movie. You should go to CineGods.com and check it out. Um, but you know what? Bananas. Mm. Bananas right there at the beginning of his career. I love Bananas. You know what I love most about Bananas? Yeah. Uh, Sylvester Stallone tries to beat him up on the subway. <laughs> That's what I love about this. Here's what I think is really, really wacky about uh, Bananas. 1971. 1971. Woody Allen. Totally just ridiculous movie. This is a far-fetched, crazy comedy. Okay, I mean, this is really a nutty comedy. It's like a political satire. Yeah. and it's, uh, it's, it's like a sketch comedy potpourri. And it's all over the place. And, you know, it, it's, it tries to talk about, you know, third world countries and revolution and dictators. And it's uh, got a... It's a little bit of Moon Over Parador kind yeah. of stuff. It's just, it's manic and it's crazy. And at no point watching this, especially watching that moment on the subway. This is 1971. Watching that moment on the subway. Here's this Sylvester Stallone guy. You don't even know who he is. He's a bit part. He's just some Italian-looking guy who's like uh, muscling up to this nebbishy-looking Jewish guy on a subway in this wacky, crazy movie. Yeah. In that moment... 
who would have thought, looking at those two, you know what? Each of them is going to write an Oscar Best Picture winner before the end of this decade. Yeah. Who would have thought? At, at that moment then, forget about you know, love the course of history. Nevertheless, love it. not who they would actually ultimately sort of become. And the grand love movement. how this yeah. business turns on a dime. Yeah. Love it. Bananas, classic Woody Allen. Got to check it out. Twilight Time did a great job. Also has an isolated music track for that fantastic Marvin Hamlish score. It's wonderful. All right, Tim, I think that's it for us this week. All righty. We will be back uh, next week, which I believe is uh, probably the last one before Christmas. I'm not sure we're going to have a show Christmas right. week, but we'll, uh, we'll be back then uh, probably the week after to tidy up the year, see if we got some picks on the year. It's been a lot of Blu-rays and DVDs. A lot of, a lot of additional uh, awards, nominations will have been made by then. Yes. Gold uh, Globes will be out yeah. and uh, all that stuff. So, all right. We will, uh, we will see you guys next week. Bye.